Hey, everyone, just a brief intro right here. Uh, I would encourage all of you to make sure you listen to this episode all the way to the end. This was one of the more fun and engaging conversations I've had, not to take anything away from the other conversations, but I think the flow was fantastic and we're going to have a part two and Mallory's was a fantastic uh, person to interview. You know, unfortunately, we had to use a, use the telephone to record because uh, of her internet connection where she lives. But I, I don't think that takes anything away from the conversation. It was fantastic. So I'm really excited to get the feedback on, on this episode. And the other thing I wanted to just give a brief update on, I've been debating on how to uh, make this podcast a little less expensive for myself personally, on how to at least recoup some of the monthly costs of running the podcast. So I debated on um, running advertisements. We've got enough listeners and enough downloads to where we can actually run advertisements. But I felt the idea that the purpose behind millennial manhood really is more of a grassroots movement rather than, you know, me pitching uh, audiobooks and and uh, website design uh, sites to you or, you know, the comfiest underwear or whatever is the new hot podcast advertisement. So I decided to forego for the forego on the advertisements for now. And I've actually opened up uh, listener support. So the way that works is if you feel compelled that uh, millennial manhood is a worthwhile endeavor and that it's something that you want to support, if you think that it's having a good impact on on your life and the and the uh, people you've shared it with, you can go to anchor.fm. So anchor.fm forward slash MMCIP forward slash support. And you can actually sign up for a support level that'll uh, come through every single month. You can do 99 cents, 4.99, 9.99, whatever your heart desires. Um, I, I figured that would be a way for me to avoid the the bombardment of advertisements and give people the ability to support that feel that this is a worthwhile endeavor. And, you know, it also keeps me honest and on my toes. Uh, if uh, nobody's supporting, then that means I need to increase the quality of the, of the podcast. Uh, but I, I do think, you know, people have reached out to me asking how they can support the podcast. So that's a, that's an opportunity right there. I'll make sure to put the information in the show notes, but again, it's anchor.fm forward slash MMCIP forward slash support. Any little bit helps. Uh, I am incredibly grateful to have the opportunity to do this podcast. I think we're doing some really good uh, work out here in the world for young men and young people in particular. And and, um, at least a couple times a week, I get a new email or Facebook message or Instagram message from somebody who uh, thanks me for for the work that we're doing. So uh, I appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Keep listening. Uh, We've got some great episodes coming up. And uh, here's Mallory. back to another episode of Millennial Manhood. This is your host, Yavitsa Djurjevic. Uh, today, I've got a very special guest with me, Mallory Agrizovic. Uh, Mallory, uh, introduce yourself. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm Mallory. Um, I am a life coach. And yeah, excited to dive in with you today. 
Awesome. Awesome. So I know a, a lot of folks listening, you know, some of them may have had a life coach before at some point in their life. And some folks might be hearing that and thinking, well, what does a, what does a life coach actually do? So if you want to give a, a brief breakdown of what you do day in and day out with your clients and how you help them. Yeah, that is a great question. And I can tell you growing up in the world that I grew up in and honestly, quite frankly, my family, I think is still trying to figure out what are you doing, Mallory? What is a life coach? And in some circles, in fact, the circles where, um, some circles in many industries that everybody has a life coach and knows what that is. So, um, I think that is a good place to start. So, um, as a life coach, my purpose, and I would say this is my purpose in my own life, is to help people realign with who they truly are. So my clients, most of them are entrepreneurs. Um, some of them come to me because they need help in parenting. Um, but the the core sort of origin of the core reason for them coming to me is because they are feeling stuck in some way in their life. And my role as a coach is really getting, helping them get rid of the clutter and helping them remember and reconnect and really reclaim themselves so that they can live and show up in their practice and their businesses and their lives um, a lot more authentically. Um, I think, I think that's a pretty good description to start. Yeah. Yeah. And the way, the way you and I got connected, I actually hired you as a coach a couple of years back and you were quite influential in my life and in certain areas that I was trying to get my business to a point, um, and, in a very, in a transitionary stage that I was going through. So, but you know, you, you obviously are an integral part of, of your client's lives in the sense that, uh, you help them, like you said, get rid of the clutter, and I think the word you mentioned was be their authentic self. And the name of your company and website is actually Authentic Living. So um, why do you think people are not being their authentic self? What 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 is uh, going on in our society to where there is a market and a need for people such as yourself to help folks be more authentic and get the clutter out of the way? Mm. Well... Oh, that's such a good question, and I think it boils down to, and I know one of the reasons when you first asked me to join and invited me to join you here this morning, you used the word ego. Hey, I want to talk about ego, and there's a lot of different ways at that, and I'm certainly not a specialist when it comes to ego, but that comes up in each and every one of my clients, and what I've noticed is a pattern that I've noticed is really getting stuck in that heady space, that thinking space, and our brain not to make the brain the bad guy because the brain is amazing. And, and as a tool to be used in this life, the brain is amazing. But I think we have become so accustomed to thinking our way through things and looking outside of ourselves for the answers, for what life is supposed to look like, what we're supposed to be and do and say and how we should be showing up. Um, and there's a lot of data coming at us throughout the day and a lot of information and it's really easy I think to get lost in all of that and get disconnected from our own voice, our own truth um, so often as simple as it sounds it's a matter of just simply pausing and finding and taking some space, even just 10 seconds to drop out of the mind um, and come back to ourselves because there's a, a wealth of knowledge and wisdom that I think many of us aren't tapping into because we're getting lost in the doing 
um, and I think simply have forgotten how to be. So quite frankly, most of my work is really helping people come back to themselves, come back to simply being. And, and therein lies their purpose um, and reconnecting to that and being sort of moving then and, and aligning from an action standpoint or goals or whatever those things are to then that, that core purpose. Hmm. So that's that's interesting. You you mentioned all the information that we're being bombarded with and the the constant comparison, the access. I mean, probably the access to the internet and the access to you know within your pocket, the palm of your hand, you can mm-hmm. you can almost look up anything you want and, and create a perception or idea out of it. Um, and that I mean that is a that is a relatively new invention in in the human psyche for the human psyche to handle. So do you, do you think that people when you talk about your authentic self, do you think that people are maybe more lost than ever in what their authentic self even is? Do you, do you find yourself having to talk to your clients to even discover who they are? Absolutely. And I think that resonates with so many more people than not. Um, sort of this idea of reconnecting with who, who they are and what that looks like. And I think that starts with just cultivating an awareness and knowing, oh, I reach for my phone all the time, or I reach for this, or I'm constantly stuck here. Um, and it really starts with that awareness of what is your experience day-to-day like? Where are you feeling stuck? What is challenging? What's painful? Um, what are you most frustrated with? Because if we can start to pause and just notice and be more aware of ourselves, that's that's where this work starts. Um, it does require you to, to be able to pause and rather than reaching for whatever it is, the phone, the, the cookie, whatever, um, inserting and creating a breath or some space for hmm. this work. Interesting. So, so what are some of the, what are some of the techniques that you use with your clients to help identify that awareness and, and help them be more aware. And, and then also I want you to segue a little bit into, because the, I, I do want to talk about the ego and how it keep, you know, s- keeps us from reaching our potential, um, how that intertwines with that awareness and, and that self-awareness and that reality check almost that we have to have to give ourselves. Yeah. Well, so ego is an interesting thing because it gets a pretty bad rap. Um, we all have an ego, right? And there's so many ways to define it. And again, I'm not a renowned specialist in in the ego, but my the way I describe it or the way I understand and and I guess um, navigate that with my own clients is ego helps us navigate the world, and ego is constantly in pursuit, or rather trying to identify ourselves as something. So, and oftentimes it'll attach. So you can have a healthy ego, right? A healthy sense of self is the way I would put it. So if we were to sort of insert the word sense of self versus ego, I think you could use those interchangeably. But if you have a healthy sense of self, you're sort of in that stable ground um, and you have a true sense of maybe your abilities, your worth, um, and a healthy sense of who you are and your value. When you have an unhealthy ego or an unhealthy sense of self, you may be approaching the world and stuck in patterns based off of a sense of inadequacy. Hmm. You don't feel like you have enough worth or that you bring value or that you know enough 
then there's the sense of lacking, the sense of unworthiness that the ego kind of freaks out about. <laughs> if there is that sense and the ego starts to panic a bit, um, and you start to op- operate from a total different place, an inauthentic place. You might say things or do things that really aren't who you are because you're, you're striving to find a sense of worthiness. Um, a really simple form of this is in gossip. So when you talk bad about someone else, most often it's coming from a place of inadequacy, trying to feel better about yourself. And you end up leaving feeling worse. You leave that conversation where you maybe told someone something that you shouldn't have or said something inappropriate about someone else or made fun of someone, whatever that gossip looks like, it came from a place of self-preservation from ego. And you never leave feeling better. Um, and in fact, it normally comes back around to hurt you even more. Um, so you perpetuate this sort of painful suffering um, because you're feeling inadequate. You can also feel sort of too big for your britches, right? So we can also see people get over-dominant, over-aggressive, and sort of overconfident, which honestly in my clients is less of an issue. I see far less of that. Um, and more often I'm meeting with people who are so far from that <laughs> that we're really working on how do we cultivate a sense of self, a sense of worth, confidence, to really start showing up in our lives more powerfully. Um I can tell you that I don't work or attract many people who are in that space of overconfident or have that, the pendulum hasn't shifted from that side of to the unhealthy ego or unhealthy sense of self. Yeah. Is that helpful or make sense? No, that's incredibly helpful. I want, I want to go back to the piece you said about the healthy ego and the sense of self versus the unhealthy ego and, and where the ego panics. Elaborate a little bit more on that panic of the ego because, and, and the reason I really want to focus on this is, you know, again, the, the, the title of the podcast is Millennial Manhood and, mm-hmm. and, and the, the byline is Confidence, Initiative, Persistence. And I think young men and young women, I mean, just young people in general, that 35 and under group that's grown up with social media, that's grown up with um, actually really high expectations on themselves, whether fair or unfair. Um, I think there's a lot of that ego panicking going on, as, as you described it. So so dig a little deeper on that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what is really important to notice, too, is that we are more complex than any one thing, right? Yeah. So also at play here, and often in tandem with our ego, is our negativity bias, where we are hardwired as a species, part of what's helped us survive in this world, is that we have what's called a negativity bias. So that is to say, if we're out, if we were out hiking in the woods, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw something, and I stepped back through a street and said, oh, snake. Um, and then only to look back again and notice, oh, it was just a stick. We might laugh, and I'd regain my breath. My, my heart rate would settle back down, and we would keep walking. Very simple. After we decided there was nothing there that could harm us, we would keep walking. Maybe you laugh about it. On a daily basis, that's happening to us all the time. Where we're getting feedback, things are happening, and constantly this negativity bias is going off, this little alarm system. And what can happen is if we start believing that every time if we're operating in the world like there are snakes all around us when really there's sticks because we're trying to stay safe, um, that can really flare up and get us create more of this panicky, anxious energy. And honestly, it's really hard to be confident and initiate things to be persistent when you're constantly operating from this triggered state of fight or flight. 
So just knowing that that exists, that negativity bias, is extremely helpful because we can't get rid of it. This is what I think is a really big myth in the whole world of self-help or self-fulfillment or even mindset work is to get rid of the fear. Be fearless. And we actually don't want to, nor can we. That response is so fast that you can't get ahead of it with any sort of higher mind thinking. What you can do is build a sense of resiliency and recover from it more quickly, sort of beyond yourself. And know, more, rather than getting caught up in the ways of panic, sort of observe it and know, oh my goodness, look at my heart rate's increasing. I'm freaking out a little bit. Ah, uh, here's that negativity bias. Yeah. There's really no danger here. I'm okay. And kind of being able to talk ourselves back to that state of authenticity and groundedness, um, same thing with the ego. So it takes a certain knowing, and this goes back to that self-awareness, to know when are you hooked in ego? When are you operating from a place of trying to prove yourself, trying to prove or hustle for worthiness, as Brene Brown says it? Um, and when are you really acting from a place of pure intention and authenticity and aligned with what really matters to you? Because, again, it's not about getting rid of this negativity bias or getting rid of the ego. It's simply having a better understanding of yourself. And you're, you're very, we are all very complex, and we are more than just one part. Um, and it takes a level of understanding and awareness to better navigate in a, in a way that feels just more whole. Wow, that there's a lot to unpack there. That was that was impactful. Um, you know, I think back at at our work together, and and I'm I'm fairly fairly positive that you taught me this. Um, when you're feeling some sort of anxiety or stress uh, that's unreasonable, you know intellectually that it's not reasonable. Um, re really, even just acknowledging your brain trying to protect you, and and actually telling your brain, hey, I understand what you're doing here but it's not warranted. I need you to calm down <laughs> or I need you to stop. Like, I, I appreciate what you're doing, but it's not, it's not reality. It's, it's your perception and how much that can help with anxiety, with, with anxiety in certain situations. And, and, uh, you know, in my business call reluctance or whatever it may be. Um, so I, I think that's really interesting about that negativity bias. And what's really fascinating to me is that people aren't really being taught this. It's you have to seek out that information. And and it seems like we're just living in a more anxious and anxious world where there's a boogeyman around every corner. Uh, you know, what what are some, you know, just practical things that people listening to this podcast can immediately take and just absorb into their lives to help them mm. with the control of that ego panicking? Yes. What you touched on, I think, the most powerful one, and I don't know if you even realized you did, because yes, acknowledging and being able to say, oh, wait, my mind is doing this, or this is what's happening. But what you also, what was infused in the example you just gave was compassion. And I think, especially what I've observed, and I'm not alone here, there are researchers, um, collecting data that supports this, and I don't think this will come as a surprise to many of your listeners, but in the world of masculinity, compassion is not often a word that is used as one of strengths. In fact, oftentimes it's more of a weak word that can be perceived. And this idea of being masculine or manly is to just push through it, right? Just, oh, you yeah. shouldn't feel that, or, or even sort of forcing your way 
through a, a feeling or a sensation or judging yourself or feeling shameful that, wow, I shouldn't even be feeling this. So compassion is critical and at the core of this work of living an authentic life. And I think at the core of what the world needs now more than ever is this sense of compassion for what really is the human experience. So again, we're not fighting against it. We're more so saying, you know what? Yes, this is hard. There is pain. That is normal to feel. In fact, it's necessary to feel a range of emotions. Um, for you to really live a full and whole life. And there's a healthy way to do that as well. And the only way to do that is really to have and come back to compassion. And the best example I have, or I guess analogy for this, is thinking of like a wise teacher. So compassion is not like letting yourself off the hook. Like, oh, I see that you're scared. Let's just go home and go back to bed and play video games. No problem. Like, don't worry about it. You're wonderful. You're perfect. You're smart. Go home, play video games. Like, no, that's not compassion. Um, that's not going to cultivate growth and transformation. True compassion is like having a miniature Yoda inside of you. It doesn't have to speak backwards like Yoda. <laughs> that same idea. And I'm not even going to try to give an impression. Yeah. But that voice of wisdom that is so deep in love and grounded in this sense of belief in you, seeing you and knowing in you more than you do yourself, to say, okay, yeah, I know you think you can't, but you can. And I know this is hard, but you're not alone. I'm here with you. So finding that voice, we all have it. We all have an inner Yoda. <laughs> um, we all have the polarity of that, too. We have sort of that darkness that but sort of likes to grab for our attention as well. But there is that voice, that compassionate wisdom that, that we can tap into. Um, and it's there. So I think compassion is, is the key in finding ways. And one simple, because I know that's like, wow, really big, Mallory. How do we find compassion? A really easy way. And Dr. Rick Hansen is behind this research. And it's really simple. Um, but one thing anybody listening can start doing whenever they're feeling anxious or they're like, wow, yeah, who I'm on, I'm triggered, I'm feeling fearful, or I'm too nervous to pick up the phone, or I'm preparing for a big interview, or I feel like I need to have confidence, but I don't have any right now. Um, so you know it, but you don't know what to do. 10 seconds for just 10 seconds. Think of someone in your life who you can easily access the feeling of love for a really simple, uncomplicated love that instantly when you can think of that person, close your eyes if you can. And just for 10 seconds, invite the feeling of love that that person brings up, either loving them or being loved just for 10 seconds. And there's research that indicates that if you do this, Dr. Rick Hansen, you can look him up, there's research that indicates that with time, with practice, this is one of the ways, just like gratitude, we all know gratitude can, can change your brain, right? Well, what they're saying there is, same thing here, if you can, for 10 seconds in the face of anxiety, feel love, you're going to start to rewire those neural pathways. And this is resiliency training. This is on the spot and on the fly, really simple way where you can start to rewire your brain so that, yes, the anxiety will still happen. You will still feel it, but for shorter amounts of time, and you will bounce back, be more resilient, which means you won't be sitting in the muck, in the dark for as long over time. Wow. Okay, then. Talk about unpacking. Um, 
Yeah, that, that. I know we only have a certain amount of time, so I'm, I'm digging in, diving in, and then tapping out. <laughs> <laughs> You're just gonna look. That's what we're doing here. Yeah, we might have to do a part two at some point later. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, well, I think okay. What I want to I want to talk about the masculinity piece that you mentioned about compassion not being seen something culturally as masculine, and it's really interesting because so it's not a secret. Everybody on the podcast knows ethnically I'm Serbian. I I grew up in that culture until the age of 10. And then even past that point, I I grew up in that culture by virtue of my parents and, you know, via the Milanisms episode, everybody knows that my father has been an extremely strong masculine figure in my life. Never did I ever grow up not thinking that compassion was a masculine trait. And I think for a lot of people in my circumstances, I, they will, they will agree with that. In my opinion, even i mean in the west in particular i think the 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 overly harsh man is is a recent development because when we even if we think to like patriarchal structures of you know multiple generations living together in one home a couple hundred years ago the old like great grandfather is kind of that wise yoda you just you described or that's how he's presented yeah and and I think more recently in society, men have gotten this idea um, that that an extreme form, I think it comes down to that lack of identity and lack of self and, and lack of authenticity, where you're presenting a persona that's not real, this complete hard ass of an individual that hasn't got no... Um, no softness or or uh, a malleability to them whatsoever, and and that's incredibly unhealthy because you need a yin and a yang. And now, don't get me wrong, if you if a situation calls for you to be a savage, be a savage. If somebody's trying to rob your family, you know, be a savage <laughs> if, if that's what's required. If you need to protect your own, but but you know, the idea of of not having compassion for circumstances or or uh, uh, you, you know, even even just just different situations that come up in life. I, I'm trying to get to the root of that, of trying to figure out how can we help young men in particular tap into that. And and that's a and that example of thinking for ten seconds of somebody that you love, that you can you, you have unconditional love for, that you can easily generate. That is so key because that does bring you in tune with with different aspects of your life. Sorry, that was a that was a ramble, not so much as a question. No, it's good, and it makes me want to go down a country road with you metaphorically and talk more about this because what you just shared, I think, at least opened was like an aha for me, honestly, in that sort of this lost connection with our origins, with our own ancestors, with who and where we came from, and and to to seek out some of these things that we're craving and we're missing that softness, that wisdom. I got a flash of my own, my own grandfather who had that quiet, very strong, great strength. I mean, farmer who worked to the day he literally died on the farm had been, you know, traditional farming accidents with bulls. And I mean, so strong, but had the softness and, and went out dancing with my grandmother had, this pure compassion at his core, but was so strong. So I think there is this new, and it does feel newer. And I never made that connection until you shared your own story that there's this new 
newer definition or myth rather about what it what you're supposed to be as a man. And I think that just brings us back full circle to where we sort of kicked off today. Um, to have this this awareness around our own operating system. What are the beliefs in which we are we're navigating our life with? And are they serving us? Because sometimes we don't even realize that we're operating from a set of beliefs that came from outside of ourselves that, oh, wait a minute, this doesn't feel good when I try this on. This doesn't feel good to be living with this expectation or with this standard or definition. I have the liberty and the freedom to sort of come back to what really is true for me and explore that and be curious. Well, that's the key word, though, explore and be curious. We've killed curiosity, Mm -hmm. especially in little boys. I mean, my wife's an elementary school teacher. We've killed curiosity. Little little boys in particular are not allowed to be curious. They're not allowed to do the stupid crap that allows for them to learn a lesson because it's, it's just a fact. Different people learn different things. And and because we've got access to all this information, again, this is me bro-sciencing and, and just thinking through things, but we've got all this information available. You know, Google killed the term, I'll take his word for it, forever. There, there is no, there's no, there's no, I'll take, a, I'll take his word for it. I'll just Google it and look it up. And w- without that curiosity and without that ability to work through these issues internally, I'm scared of, of, of we're, we're almost emotionally handicapping an entire generation. There is so much hope. <laughs> yeah. I, there is so much hope though. And I, I say this because I, I'm like nodding my head over here and I, I, everything that you're saying is, I mean, we recently moved, well, it's been two years out to nearly the middle or just outside of the middle of nowhere where we have easy access to anything, but we literally are in the middle I don't see a neighbor as I'm looking out of my windows. My three-year-old goes out and was playing in the rain last night because that's important to us. Just like go outside, be curious, be wild. And that is so much of what we are building and what's important to us. And I say that in this work and in those places, I think we can start with ourselves. Um, And I think it's critical that we start with ourselves, finding that and reclaiming that which we are craving in our own lives, that curiosity, that that playfulness, that wild, even that savageness, um, to know that that is all important and part of ourselves and necessary. And I, everything that you're saying is, is ringing so true, and I, I want to just add to it, and that there is hope, and there's so much that can be done and cultivated from this. And I think it's wonderful, the space that you're creating, because it really, I think it's so important. And so many people, I feel like, are being called to sort of wake up to some of these things. And you clearly have a passion and a, and a fire inside of you around some of these. And I think there's a reason for it. And I'm grateful that you've created a space for it to sort of come through and to be talked about. Well, I appreciate that. I, I am passionate about it. And I've, I've, I want to help people and uh, quite frankly this podcast helps me i mean i'm mm-hmm. i'm three three pages worth of notes into this through our conversation i mean i mean I, I i listen to my own podcast not out of a sense of narcissism but because i take notes on my notes and yeah. and uh, and just di- digest what we've talked about and i think the key pieces here from our conversation is really 
you know, like you said, getting the clutter out of our own way, finding that healthy ego, that sense of self and that sense of worth and, and, and really acknowledging that, that compassion piece and, and, and driving, driving through there. Um, you know, I, I know we're, we're running shortly out of time, but, and like I said, we'll definitely have to unpack and do a second part at some point, but I want you to just touch base on the ego just a little bit more. Um, and maybe that can set us up for the next, but what is the actual purpose of the ego? So the ego, I think the quickest way and the way we'll, I'll dive into that just for now is the part of our, that helps us get where we're going. So in, in a way that's socially acceptable. So our ego really does help us navigate the social constructs of this life. So your ego is going to help you fit into a certain standard. Like when you go to an event, your ego will help you discern what to wear so that you're not wearing your bathing suit, you know, to the office when that maybe isn't appropriate because your ego knows that's really not going to be acceptable. People might say certain things and it cares, right? It cares what people think and it cares. So to a healthy extent, the ego can be helpful um, and kind of helps us get things done, right? Um, I think that's the simplest way and a very quick way to say, um, and again, there are so many other people in this world that can speak so much more eloquently and deeply into that. But I think on a high level, that's a great place to start and end, that the ego does help us navigate um, the social constructs, the socially acceptable way of going about doing things. But it can get, it can hijack the system. It can get overly dominant. And that's when it gets toxic or that's when it can be unhealthy. Interesting. That's a, that's a really good way of explaining it. It it helps you maneuver life in a socially acceptable manner. Yeah. Wow. That's i I've never actually thought about it that way, but that, that would. And that can, yeah. And it can trap you. That can be, you know, as someone who lived a life for a while that was very socially acceptable and followed by the rules, I was the queen of living by the rules. And that was great because everyone around me seemed really happy. But meanwhile, I was sort of like, wait a minute, I don't, this is starting not to feel great. That can start to lead you away from your right life and may not be authentic. Um, so it can sort of, if it, again, if the pendulum shifts too far, you get start to get out of whack and you can feel it. You'll feel it. And your life will start to tell you things. There are signs um, that, that it gets very clear that, okay, you're off balance. You're not living in aligned life. Um, so to really live an authentic life, you have to get to know your ego because your ego is going to freak out. Your ego is going to panic because inevitably you're going to have to make decisions or you're going to choose certain things that are going to, I don't know, send a ripple effect in the world. And get, people might start to talk. People might say things. You might have different new friends. You have, might have to move. We moved. <laughs> um, yeah. And some of our decisions were pretty crazy, but... When it wasn't about ego anymore, we could get for free to start creating and living a life that felt so much more whole and so much more authentic. Um, and I can tell you only beautiful things blossom from that space, but certainly isn't easy. And I don't, I don't think it, it's not serving anyone to downplay the power of the ego and how much it can grasp you from your belly and make you feel like your world's on fire and that everything is scary because that is very real, even though it's not true, it feels really real. I think that's an important, powerful place maybe to end that sometimes, not, not sometimes this work can feel really real. The experience of the ego is real, but 
not always true. Yeah, I think it's it's important what you said about, you know, the way I would paraphrase and my just from what I heard from you, it's basically just brutal honesty and you can't go wrong. Mm. That that's you know, that honesty with yourself, that honesty with the people around you, like you said, making crazy decisions and moving to the middle of nowhere. Um, but that's honest for you and your family and the and the needs exactly. and the wants for your family. So uh Mallory Wow. Time crunch achieved and fantastic <laughs> conversation. Thank you for coming on. Beautiful. Oh, was, thank you. I'm glad it worked. And this was, it worked out the way it was supposed to. So thanks for your patience and scheduling and. No, no problem. Um, I want, I wanted to give you an opportunity to uh, plug whatever you want to plug your website. Your, I mean, like I said, I think, I, I think I can speak for the audience before this is ever released that we'll, we'll want to hear more, but um, where can folks go to learn more about you? Obviously I'll, I'll plug you in the show notes and, and just give a, give a brief uh, exit interview if you would like. Okay. Well, thank you. Yep. So I have, I uh, guess a Facebook community, authentic living and the website is authentic living com. Um, so I think those are the two easiest places to find me. And yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, like I said, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I look forward to continuing it later. Um, again, for anybody out there listening, share the, share the podcast. If you've got questions or you'd like to reach out millennial manhood, CIP at gmail.com. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon.